As we read through this, I want to ask you, number one, is there anything really morally wrong with Ahab's request of Naboth to buy or to exchange? And, uh, and just think along those lines. Uh, you're going to see that Jezebel steps in, and uh, she is a uh, harsh uh, alpha woman. I hope that's uh, an accurate description, not an offensive description. She's just, uh, you know, very hard-nosed. And she steps in. Is it just her personality? Is that the only reason she steps in and takes charge? Or is there some cultural paradigm that she has? Keep in mind, she's from Phoenicia. And, uh, and so she is a foreign wife. And then what do you make at the end of chapter 1 of Ahab's repentance and God's responsiveness to Ahab's repentance? So uh, as, we, as we look at that, uh, in other words, I want to ask you this. Is Ahab our brother in the covenant? Are we going to see him in heaven someday? Now, um, I want you to be prepared for something a little different tonight. You're going to actually break up in groups of four or five, uh, adults, uh, teen adults, and, um, and you're going to answer some questions for me and come back. And so, Gordy, if we could have the handheld mic, that might help us get the uh, feedback to the uh, Zoom crew. Welcome everybody on Zoom. And we will also ask Joel to convene a Zoom room conversation to answer my questions. There will be five questions tonight. So let's settle into the text and, um, and read uh, chapter 21 of 1 Kings. Now, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is very near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen. It's interesting, vexed and sullen were two adjectives that described him last week um, as we were in this text. Uh, Not a good way to go through life, vexed and sullen. Um, anyway, uh, he went in vexed because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you. I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezreel had, as Jezebel had sent word to them. 
And it was written in the letters that she, and as it, as it was written in the letters she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. By the way, I'm not sure that chapter 21 occurs in a a chronological uh, situation. These last three chapters are documenting three failures of Ahab. And so we're just kind of, um, we're just kind of uh, 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 capping why he's a bad king, perhaps. Verse 18, Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you uh, killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off Ahab from, uh, from Ahab every male bound or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baashah, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezreel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? That uh, God responds to this man's uh, Repentance or dejection. So question number one, um, and I'm just going to give you like one minute to discuss this, maybe a minute and a half, uh, is this. In verses one through four, does Ahab's proposal uh, to Naboth seem to be unreasonable and abusive on the face of it? Uh, get with, uh, get with uh, another pair of adults, uh, couples, and, and uh, like two families together. Uh, you guys will have to get up and move. Um, and so go. And talk this through. Uh, does Abraham's proposal to Naboth seem unreasonable and abusive? Is it immoral? Is there anything immoral about his proposal? Uh, let's call it back together. We've got uh, Mark here has the microphone, and I'm going to call on uh, let's call on Steve's group. Uh, get a spokesman there and uh, answer this question on verses one through four. 
as we discussed it, we didn't think that the proposal was bad. It's fair market value. Okay. So that seems pretty legitimate. Fair market value, or he said a better one. Who knows? Any other opinions? Anything to add to that? Okay. The next question is this. Oh, right here, Eric, quickly. Yep. Reply in verse, you've got Nabus reply in verse 3 is a clue that it, it was an unreasonable request. Aha. Why? Yeah. What did he say in verse number 3? He says, um, may Yahweh forbid me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. The Lord forbid. So he invokes the name of Yahweh, telling us that this right. is a religious concern. Okay, right. so with that in mind, um, there, there's something going on there. That, that, uh, and so we're going to skip to question number three, Joel. And I'm going to put it up here. How might Numbers 37, 7 through 8, and I'll put these up in Leviticus 25, 23 through 34, have affected Naboth's view on this point? Okay, so I'll put that question up and uh, Go. So you have to look these up, and, uh, and you'll get three minutes on this one. Huh? Right there. Yep. Thank you. And I'm not sure. Maybe the shorter one, Numbers 36, will get that for you. Okay, 30 seconds. I'm calling on Tim's group first. Tim and Brian's group first. I want you to answer this question. Okay. Let's, let's bring it all back in here, and we're going to have Tim's group go first, and anybody else can add. So, Tim, what are some possible thoughts that Naboth might have had? Okay, what we came up with was uh, it was actually uh, uh, a command from God that uh, the inheritance should be kept within the family or the tradition handed down like family farm, you know, one generation to the next to the next, and you should not give that up. should be kept within the family. Okay, it should be kept within the family. Um, any other insights into that? That is exactly correct. I think that that is where he was at. Brian? I found here that it also said, according to the Mosaic Law, the Lord forbade the permanent selling of the land so that he could essentially lease it for a period of time. But that wasn't even part of the conversation. So Yeah, and, and, you know, you had the year of Jubilee thing where if you're in trouble, you could sell it into the year of Jubilee, then it went back there. Any other insights in this? And, and, and everything kind of stems from Tim's answer. Tim's answer was exactly correct, but there's a few wrinkles along the way that, that fall out from that. Uh, Leviticus twenty five thirty four says, But the field of the common land of their cities may not be sold for their perpetual possessions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, think about this. God's covenant with Israel was, with, with Abraham was what? It was that I'd make you a great nation, many people, all the world, but there was also the land. And so your portion of the land was your portion of Israel's blessing from God. The land promise was a big deal. Also, I don't know this and I haven't done this. Obviously, I'm, I'm still researching this out for our Sunday night message, but um, like Abraham, when he bought a piece of land in Israel, what was the purpose of it? Why did he need land all of a sudden? To bury, yeah, to bury Sarah, I believe it was, yeah, to bury his wife. So Naboth's family could have had their tomb right there in the land. I would expect that. And, and I always think about one thing that's beautiful about family burial plots is on that resurrection morning, 
when we come up out of the grave, you know, you're with your spouse at the very least. We can't, our extended families can't all be together the way we're all sprawled out in America, in the world today. But, but even to be near other believers, it's going to be a beautiful morning. Yeah. Hold on, get a mic. Get a mic. Leviticus 25.23 is the key. Leviticus 25.23, okay. Yeah, the summary verse that explains it all. Say you it. Know, it just says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Yeah. You are sojourners and live as guests with me. Yep. Excellent. So he comes and he asks Naboth to buy that, um, probably knowing that it was his ancestral land. And okay. Naboth is just like, um, what are you asking? It's not mine. Yeah. It's Yahweh's. Yep. Very so good. I can't do that. Very good. Okay, for the sake of time, Joel, we're going to skip question number four. We're going to go to question number five because it's more important. And... Um, and that is, what do we make of Ahab's repentance? Uh, uh, is it a repentance unto salvation? Does God interact with the unsaved world when it repents? Give me some examples if so. Okay, so to talk that through, what do you think? Is Ahab our brother? Is he a weak brother in the covenant who just happened to have a problem with Baal and a wife that controlled him? Um, is, uh, is he a pagan and God is responding to the repentance of a pagan, not salvific? Okay, go. And I'll give you two minutes on that. So it, it does seem like a harder question for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we can qualify our right? Right. right. So the important things, I think, are noticing that God noticed Ahab's repentant attitude, and which means that it must have been significant. Who knows how many days or weeks, you know, it went on, but it was noticeable to God. And uh, But when our understanding of what saves us, you know, our claiming of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, um, repentance is more than just a one-time event. It's a turning toward following Jesus, and that becomes the new norm for our lives. Um, you know, and with sanctification, we're better at that sometimes than others, but that's it's a new direction. So we repent of our sins, we turn, and now we're oriented towards serving Jesus. And I don't know that that turning actually happened with Ahab after that. Right, right, right. So he dies fairly soon after this, so it's hard to say for sure. Right. Okay. The only other example that I could think of off the top of my head, so I could be off base, but um, is Nebuchadnezzar when he was um, when he was a wild animal. Well, he lived like a wild animal for seven years, um, and we don't know that Nebuchadnezzar is a believer or not. But yet he was. He did interact with God. He did. He was humbled by God, and then he was restored. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was a true believer. But it, we don't. I don't think we know either way. Do we? <laughs> Not the whole salvation thing, but also when Pharaoh asked for a reprieve from Moses, you know, from the true God. You know, he was granted that as well. So it's not necessarily uncommon. I mean, I guess it is uncommon, but it happened before at least. Okay, so Pharaoh would 
I am so sorry. I apologize, Joel and everybody there in Zoom. Okay, so Pharaoh would repent, and, um, and then, and then uh, God would relent, and then Pharaoh would harden his heart. So it wasn't repentance unto salvation. Uh, I would say that's a safe bet that Pharaoh is in hell. In fact, Paul even talks about how can God devote him to destruction when he raised him up to reject him. Um, and and um, I would also think of the Philistines when they made the tumors out of gold uh, and, and sent those on the ox cart, that there might have been a response from God to alleviate their, um, their, uh, their, their, uh, their problems. Although I don't know that the text goes into that. We know their motivation for doing that, whether or not the text says that. Uh, that but yeah, I, think, I don't think we need to conclude that Ahab is in heaven. Uh, we can wonder. And, um, and uh, yeah, any other comments on that? And I would add to that list as well the city of Nineveh. They, Jonah was sent over there, and they repented, at least temporarily, and their judgment was held for a longer period of time right? until the city was abandoned and buried yep. under a bunch of sand. Yep, yep. Yeah, so Nineveh's repentance, was that a repentance under the covenant, or was that just stopping sin? To me, it looked a lot more like just stopping, stopping sin. sin. And uh, very similarly to Ahab, sackcloth and being all dejected and all that. But did it really change our hearts? I don't really think so. Yeah. Yeah. We see no evidence of that. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Very good. That is going to be Sunday evening's uh, message. And, um, and so I thought we'd get our heads into that. And also, I was already at five pages, which was not going to work on a Tuesday and a Wednesday night anyway. So I thought, well, we'll, we'll um, get our heads in it, and I'll also get some information, some insight.